You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, episode 75 with Willie Jackson. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'm really excited. Today is a double milestone episode. We're celebrating episode 75, guys. This is really crazy to me. We're only 25 episodes away from 100 and actually by the time this airs you know i've already gotten through recording almost all the interviews that are going to air this summer so we're pulling closer and closer to the century mark i'm really excited that happens mid-december on the pace that we're on right now and also you know this week marks our 50,000th download which is pretty crazy right and what's cool about that is that all of last year I believe we had 23,000 downloads for the entire 2016 year. We have already surpassed that. I think we're at 27,000 downloads at the mid-year mark for 2017. So we're blazing a new trail so far. I'm really excited. I'm going to put some pressure on our entire community and see if we can make it to 100,000 by the end of the year. Certainly a lot would have to happen, right, for us to get there. But I'm good for a challenge. I'm sure you are as well. It pains me sometimes to hear of those podcasts that get nearly a million downloads a month. But I know that's years and years of hard work, you know, leading up to that. And I'm still humbled and I'm still very excited about being able to celebrate 50,000 downloads Yankee Stadium has a capacity of 50,291. So Blazer Nation, here's what's up. You know, we've been able to fill every last seat of Yankee Stadium, and that's pretty remarkable. And I just want to lift my hat to you and thank you very much for helping us share these episodes, for telling your friends, your colleagues, your family members about the podcast. It's been an amazing journey. And one I I can't and I would not have done without you. So I'm eternally grateful and thankful to you. And all that said, let's go ahead and get set for today's episode. Our featured guest today is Willie Jackson. And he defines himself as an inclusion strategist. And and we got into what that actually means in the episode. He's the president and CEO of Equity Impact Group. And he's the founder and publisher of Abernathy and also frequently speaks on topics of workplace equity, global diversity, multicultural millennial leadership. He hosts several events all around the country. And, you know, in today's conversation, we we actually started off talking about his experiences living in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He shared some advice for those of you who may want to consider a similar experience to that. We talked a good bit about business, about technology, about his journey creating and growing Abernathy. Really an all-around great conversation with this amazing brother. And before we got into my conversation with Willie, I just wanted to give a shout-out to one of our listeners, Mel Powell. Big up yourself. <laughs> Mel Powell left us a super cool review on Apple Podcasts that read, Always great content, very uplifting, really a great add to my Motivation Mondays playlist. Mel, thank you so much for the kind comment and the five-star rating. Guys, listen up. If you're focused on becoming a trailblazer in your home, work, or community, 
you know, I want to welcome you to our Blazer Nation, right? I'm defining you guys as our Blazer Nation, as a trailblazer. I want to encourage you guys to help me get the word out to future trailblazers, right? You can do this by logging into your podcasts app on your iPhone right now. When you do this, it's going to be a little bit funky of a path to get to the reviews. So follow me here. You'll need to click the search icon bottom right, search trailblazers.fm. You're going to click on our podcast cover artwork. It's under the category of podcasts. And then you're going to select the reviews tab in the middle of that page and press the link below there that says write a review. If you're a listener and you really enjoy these episodes, this is a big way to show us some love. Leave us a quick five-star rating and a comment. Let me know how Trailblazers podcast has helped you to grow. Doing that helps us grow the community and become noticed by others who are wanting to join this movement. So another reminder is that you can access the full show note for today's episode and all our episodes. You can hop on over to tbpod.com. That said, let's get set to receive some mission fuel from today's trailblazer, Willie Jackson. Hope you enjoy. Willie, welcome to the show, and thanks for spending some time with us, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. As it's now been the case several times over, I would have to pause for a second, and I want to give thanks to what has now become an honorary trailblazer, probably trailblazer number one, Mr. Sean Dove, who facilitated this connection between you and I. As I just want to say thank you very much, Sean, for making yet another great introduction and bringing a, another trailblazer to our community. So, you know, reading up on you and discover that, you know, you've got quite the story to tell. I wanted to ask if it's true that you spent five months in Buenos Aires. Yeah, I spent uh, almost half a year in South America uh, a few years ago. It's amazing how often I think about those five months because that kind of trip will change you. And uh, I think it did change me for the better. So sure um, it's absolutely true. Was there someone that encouraged you to take advantage of that opportunity? Or was there a tug someplace internally that eventually fueled that to happen? Great question. I distinctly remember when I was working my corporate job. I worked for a company called Accenture for almost four years. And I distinctly remember being holed up in my cubicle and envisioning, you know, envisioning a different kind of lifestyle for myself. And for whatever reason, it was probably Twitter or something. I happened upon Tim Ferriss's blog and he had an article called How to Live Like a Rock Star or Tango Star in Buenos Aires. And it all sounded like paradise to me. Um, I mean, I've always been interested in uh, Latin and Caribbean culture anyway, but, you know, the cost of living, the attractiveness of it all, learning a different language, a different culture. I have always felt like something of a global citizen, even before I spent time outside the country. But I, I made a mental note that when I was in a position to, I would spend some time in, in Buenos Aires specifically. Hmm. And, you know, years later, I, I found myself in that position and I, you know, somewhat suddenly said, well, I, I guess it's time to do it. And so um, you know, I made it happen. And that, that really is, that's the whole story. Awesome. Did you know Spanish prior to that trip? Not, well, I, I picked up enough to get me where I needed to go, but... There's such a, a strong expat community and especially a community around people who spend U.S. dollars there right. that, you know, a dozen words and, and you're probably okay. Maybe it's not the most thoughtful way to open a different culture, but I got by with very little functional Spanish. <laughs> I've heard it said that their Spanish is a little bit different than the Spanish would be spoken in Spain. 
Uh, it's true. It's a it's a dialect. It's right. uh, and and the rest of Latin America just absolutely rolls their eyes at the Argentines. It's just such fascinating <laughs> factors at work there. But yeah, it's unique, man. That's neat. What would be your ultimate advice to someone who is looking to do something similar and immerse themselves in a foreign culture? What an interesting question. Remember that places are just places. People are just people. Um, you'll be fine. It's scary, yes, but that's mostly the story we're telling ourselves. You know, that there were people there. They like coffee. They like chocolate. They like ice cream. It, you know, see the world. You deserve it. Yes, yes. So we're going to bring things forward and talk a little bit about a few of the areas of focus for you today. But before we dive deeper, I wanted to understand a little bit more about what excites Willie Jackson most today. Wow. What excites me most? You know, I, I see our nation changing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the grandson of sharecroppers. And, you know, my, my dad picked cotton in the segregated South. Um, he's alive. You know, he's 73. And so it, it really is remarkable. And I say this all the time. It really is remarkable how much progress we have seen for black folks in the United States in two lifetimes. And that fact is not lost on me because, you know, I've become more in touch with my uh, lineage and my heritage as a result of, you know, publishing an online magazine for black men for you know, two and a half years, you know, mm -hmm. we just published our 400th article. Wow. And so this journey has been completely for me. Uh, it has been a complete coming of age story for me as a black person in the United States and seeing the way in which U.S. history is taking a very interesting turn in addition to the rate of progress we're seeing and not seeing you know, despite, you know, living in a time where there could be, uh, Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, and Mike Brown, and also companies being invented that are fusing our consciousness with software. Hmm. Like, we're living in such a fascinating time, and the revolution is taking place with everything from robotics and artificial intelligence to, you know, human rights. It's, it's hard to overstate how much is changing and how unique this is in the course of human history. And also, to kind of tie this off, there's never been a greater opportunity to do whatever, you know, to, to start a company or to become uh, magnificently wealthy or to affect change. We have the tools, we have the internet, and we have examples of people who have led the way, you know, to, to the point of your beautifully named podcast. So we have examples and we're able to use leverage in ways that our antecedents could never have dreamed of. And so it's just an exciting time to be alive, I guess I would summarize this. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about technology in a second on that point, but your bio defines you as an inclusion strategist who empowers thoughtful organizations and the leaders who run them. What does that mean? It's a great question, because I was just making that up when I wrote it. <laughs> you know, going back to what I said a moment ago, what we're seeing in technology in particular is a real shift in the way that we're talking about what I would describe as integrating the technology sector. Okay. This conversation all started when Jesse Jackson, through the Rainbow Push Coalition, was applying pressure to large publicly traded technology organizations about their boards not being very diverse. Mm. And this resulted in Google releasing their EEO1 numbers, which is a, um, you know, a government form disclosing the identities, sexuality, gender, ethnicity, and so forth of a company's employees. But this set off a really interesting conversation and a whole lot of pushback about what we're calling diversity and inclusion in tech. And we're just seeing so much uh, happen in this space. And as I started publishing the magazine and sitting on panels and curating panels and putting together events, this conversation became one that I was 
deeply familiar with. And I was bringing a lens of social justice to it that not a lot of my diversity and inclusion counterparts typically do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm just seeing so much opportunity here. And the, the line that you quoted is essentially my way of saying, look, this work is really, really hard for reasons that are nobody's fault and everybody's responsibility. And if you need a thought partner to help change the way that you do business in a way that's more inclusive, in a way that's more thoughtful, and also deeply respectful of where you are in your journey as a human in doing this work on yourself as well, then let's talk. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my work over the past six months has been around event curation, panel curation, providing advisory and mentorship and thought partnership for um, in particular, CEOs of small to mid-sized organizations and also the diversity and inclusion leads for large technology organizations. So having a blast, completely making it up. But that's my best way of uh, summarizing what that means. <laughs> Love it. So many would say that technology's impact on personal relationships and, and relationship building has been a curse. But from a business standpoint, right? And some people would say it's a, there's a benefit to it. But... I really feel like there is tremendous impact that technology has had on connecting people and building relationships. And you're someone, again, you just touched on your exposure to tech. And I'm curious to hear how technology has maybe enhanced your life, your lifestyle, the work you're doing and and the connections that you've been able to develop from it. Yeah, it's safe to say that I've grown up kind of on the internet. I was right. fairly, uh, my elementary school, I think was fairly advanced in that we had an Apple Mac lab. We have a, you know, lab full of, um, power Macintosh computers. I think they were you know, $3,000 a piece back, back, uh, when those were for sale. And so I kind of grew up, uh, computing and always curious about that. And my life is just indistinguishable from the way that computing in general, but the internet specifically, shifted. So when I lived in Argentina, I didn't really feel very different from the way that I felt in Atlanta, because socially my life was built around a lot of relationships that happened to be through social media. I, I made very real friends that you know, I, I met in person and you know, I had actual human <laughs> connections to. Um, and also, you know, people in Australia, I, I might never meet. You know, I've met people all over the world. And I've, has been a part of how I've constructed my life over the course of 10 years. And this has shifted a bit because I'm, I'm no longer on social media, but for a very long time, it just became so apparent to me how uh, my life socially was supported, reinforced, and informed by social media, specifically Twitter and Facebook. Hmm. So, Willie, you've been working with Seth Gordon for several years, as I understand it, and involved with some of his programs, Alt-MBA, and I believe you previously served as CTO for his Domino project. Is that correct? Yeah, all true. Okay. You know, I look at Seth as such an iconic business genius. And, you know, having that connection with him, I was interested in hearing from your vantage point, what would you say, you know, what are your thoughts around what makes him the great leader and storyteller and marketer and author that he is? Yeah, Seth is very lucky to work with me, and um, I, I think one. I think what would I say about working with Seth? You know, he's he's exactly who he comes across as mm-hmm. when he's speaking, and like that is exactly who he is. But additionally, he's an unbelievable husband and father and friend. Mm-hmm. So I think what I'm most impressed by, because I I know a lot of successful people, 
And the older I get, the more I appreciate people who have a strongly developed human side. Seth is just an extraordinary human being, and he's been a, a fantastic friend and mentor and client to me. And, you know, somebody I enjoy for reasons unrelated to anything anyone has ever read on the Internet. Which is to say nothing of just his, his business savvy and instincts and just the, the courage he showed. I'm not sure there's any any person I can think of who has more influenced my writing and my thinking and just how, how I show up in the world as a business person. And you know, specifically uh, this notion of creating a beautiful life instead of just a company, um, you know, doing things for the ages. Um, a lot of these things took years to settle in like I, I have i've had conversations with seth in 2011 2012 that i still glean insights from hmm. a, a deeply deeply capable and and smart business leader in in ways that i think are even obscured by um the size of his platform and, and his outsized influence so really really fascinating person to to know personally and also work with so maybe give us an example of something that you've put into action maybe one of your projects right now that you had direct benefit from having been exposed to some of his entrepreneurial genius and, and wisdom. Oh, there would be no Abernathy without Seth Godin. Yeah. None of the projects, none there, that would not have happened were it not for Seth. I was deeply wounded by the death of Michael Brown in ways that I'm still trying to understand. And that cracked me open in ways that made me even more impatient with my professional dissatisfaction at the time. And so I, I reached out to Seth and uh, just following my instincts. And I asked him if he had anything interesting coming down the pipeline because I was looking to make uh, some changes in my professional life. As it turned out, he was dreaming of his next project. We got on the phone. I was in New York the next day. And what we came away from this meeting, that, that is the speed that Seth moves. So if, mm. if you've never, if you've never worked with Seth, it's a fascinating vortex to be in because it's devoid of any unnecessary fluff. Like he really walks to talk and he moves quickly. And so again, I emailed him. We were on the phone 20 minutes later. I was in New York the next day. And a day after that, I had a sense for the rest of, you know, um, what my next, couple of years might look like. Wow. And what came from that conversation and the arrangement was, you know, I would essentially serve as uh, in-house chief technology officer and he would uh, be an advisor for what became Abernathy. So that's not a story most people know, but that's how Abernathy was born. So everything from the revenue model we tried and, you know, the resulting um, tens of thousands of dollars that we pulled in in our launch project, that was from Seth. Oh. I did the work, but um, yeah, that, that was that was 100 uh, percent instigated by Seth, which tells you a lot about the kind of person he is. Yeah, it's pretty neat, Willie. So you obviously have many talents, right? You're a writer, you're a speaker, you're an advisor. You touched on the fact that you IT seems to be your foundation. Such a fast moving and and um, ever changing space. Uh, did you always have a desire to pursue a career? in technology from an early age? I know you touched on growing up on the internet, but... Yeah, I, I was always interested in computers, and I, I guess had a familiarity and an aptitude for them, more, more so familiarity, I think, than anything. I needed more of an academic challenge, I now realize, when I was younger. So I definitely took to computers, and that was a part of my... I mean, that was just part of how I showed up in the world. And then when I went to college, I actually wanted to study medicine, 
this was long before I actually understood what that meant yeah. and the fact that I'd be volunteering for a decade of unpaid labor. Mm-hmm. But my father sensibly suggested that I explore technology. And so I, you know, I didn't, <laughs> it wasn't a deeply uh, held intellectual belief. So I, you know, I, I rolled with the suggestion and yeah, here we are. I ended up being among the first cohort at Florida State University to graduate with the information technology degree. But more than anything, every dollar I've ever made as a technologist has been as a result of a skill that I've taught myself. Like I have a technology degree, sure, but that's not the useful part of having spent four years at Florida State. The useful part of having spent four years at Florida State was starting the FSU chapter of the Association of IT Professionals. Hmm. It was coming into my own as a young leader. It was creating opportunity out of setback because my sophomore year, I was only taking four classes. I had a girlfriend at the time. I was uh, what the French called unfocused. Yeah, that was a joke. And I got a really, really bad grade point average that semester, like awful. Like I almost lost my scholarship. Wow. And me being the responsible student that I was, I completely didn't tell my parents. And so my dad was notified because I think my insurance premiums went up, which he was paying because, you know, that's how my parents are. And so he found out in a way that was not awesome that I was not doing well in school and mm-hmm. I was on scholarship. So it was not trivial. And so this situation forced me to really triple down on my grades. And I was, you know, a part of the inroads program. Um, and it was, mm-hmm. it was just excruciating because I got into the inroads program, which is a uh, internship program for, um, I forget what they rebranded the tagline is, but for, uh, underrepresented youth, mm-hmm. um, they place you in fortune 500 internships in the summer. And I was beginning the program, but also because of how poor that previous semester was, I was technically not eligible for the program any longer, which wow. I, I know now didn't actually, it's not like they're going to ask me to leave because that's not how it works and that's not the point. But I, I just remember starting that, and the first thing I had to confess, oh my gosh, I need therapy. The first thing I had to confess <laughs> on day one was, yo, my GPA is in the toilet. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, get, get it back up. And they also said when we were doing the resume review that I needed to join the Student Association for Information Technology Professionals. They didn't have one because it was a new major. And so I started one, and wow. it's that process that I think more than anything – has fueled, I think, what people looking externally would call my success. It's interesting. Neat backstory. I look at a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs and wonder where we're missing the mark with regards to having a, a sound technical infrastructure for our businesses. Do you speak to that at all from what you are able to observe looking at small businesses? Yeah, one of the reasons I was able to make a living without having any idea what I wanted to do for a living is because technology is really, really hard. And most software specifically is really, really terrible. Yes, I agree. <laughs> like it, it is, I, I sound really curmudgeonly, but when you experience good software and you also understand what it takes, then Silicon Valley and by extension, the changing of America makes a lot more sense to you. But we deal with such crappy software that, you can, in a fairly straightforward, make, very straightforward way, make a living solving very, very small problems for people with money because technology has a fascinating way of disempowering otherwise brilliant folks. Mm. And so I've been able to make a career as a technologist 
providing a layer of insurance and humanity between people and these four-letter technologies that just leave smart people undone. You know, I'm wondering about, again, business owners who are maybe getting a little bit older, who are apprehensive about embracing the cloud, embracing data analytics, embracing digital and social media. Do you think they're going to be able to survive five or 10 years out? Well, I'm not really good at predictions, but it's really clear that it's not actually about the technology, right? Because if you've lived long enough to see the economy change in the way that it must have in any 50-year snapshot, and you see the business landscape shape shifts, you're not really going to have an option. It's, I mean, it's not like people are going to have dial-up modems in New York or any major city in 10 years. Like that, that inf infrastructure is just, we won't be able to connect ourselves. To like our society will not be oriented around those technologies because the costs for much better technologies are, you know, trending towards zero and we're just all going to be swept along for the ride. And so I, I think the question is less about whether or not people will, will make that switch and elect to. It's, you know, whether they'll be dragged or whether they'll be able to, you know, making some, some bets and stepping out of the comfort zone with some more intention because, I mean, it's changing everything. Like I, I see the way that my parents interact with technology and, you know, my mother getting an iPhone was like a watershed moment. So I mean, we're <laughs> all in the exactly. middle of the madness, man. Right. That's exactly what I ask. <laughs> you know, if you're on the come up, uh, if someone listening is on the come up right now and, and maybe not that tech savvy, what do they need to do, right, to, to get themselves in the game and, and to be able to maybe look at some of the solutions that they can begin to employ to move the puck and protect themselves? It's an important question. I'm not sure I have a great answer for it, but w what I would say more than anything is technology is not particularly hard it's just a thing and it's made of other things and i think the most useful thing that i would invite someone to cultivate is a curiosity about how it works hmm. because it's complicated but think only compared part of to the issue is that we shut it shut our minds down and not even embrace that's exactly right yeah that's a, we, we don't even have a, a mental model for the basic parts hmm. and you know part of this is um a bit of a shortcoming of the educational system. We should have more technology literacy built into our public schools, and that's not a criticism of public schools, but I think that only makes the United States more competitive, but it would address a lot of wasted time and effort and just general corporate inefficiency if we all had a stronger relationship with technology as a society. So, um, so soapbox aside, I, I think that posture and that curiosity and people being able to get over their phobias because, I mean, it, people really feel anxious about tech, like in ways that are, are just that really cripple their output, their creative output. We need people to have more comfort with these technologies because we need more folks starting tech companies and being a part of these conversations. One of the reasons there's such disparities in Silicon Valley and in the tech sector more generally is a pure numbers game. There aren't enough black folks comfortable and curious and competent with the technologies paired with the appropriate pathways and, you know, opportunities to um, make a living doing technology or the work of software engineering for us to have an outsized impact or literal numbers to have an impact in the sector right now. And, and so I, I need everybody listening to this to begin to examine the relationship with tech if they'd like to grow more to us. I like I'm selling, you know, salvation. But like, you know, we need to have a curiosity about it. Anyone can be in this game. It's just an issue like any other. Yeah, no, that's true. Good points. I understand you're a member and an advisor. 
on the Young Entrepreneur Council and seen that you've helped several authors, entrepreneurs, startups. Interested to hear your thoughts on some of the common pitfalls you've noticed other members making. Oh boy. I've worked with folks in a, a bunch of different industries and you know I've worked in tech and now media and publishing and book publishing and so forth. I think most of what I, I've seen and a lot of this, you know, really firsthand experience is around is around fear and being honest with ourselves about the nature of the particular fear that we have. And I mean, this is deeply, deeply personal. Like I have a, um, I'm working with a productivity coach right now and it's really like nobody needs an actual productivity coach. What we need is to be honest and accountable and to deeply examine uh, what the fears are we have, which translates to the limiting beliefs we have. Because setting aside chance and timing and privilege and access, setting aside all the obvious class and logistical pathways to, for example, writing a New York Times bestselling book, mm -hmm. like what is so different about somebody who writes one and somebody who doesn't? The difference, just to summarize really, really quickly, is like one person sees themselves as the kind of person who writes that book and the other person doesn't. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm oversimplifying this example, but what it all comes down to and what a lot of my thinking in, in the direction of, of your question is summarized as is whatever we insist that we show up in the world as. Like, we are whoever we want to be. And it, right. it sounds like I'm saying something really, really trite, but we really can bargain with reality for the life that we demand for ourselves. But we have to demand it and, and bring our actions in line with that demand. So what are some of the things that you, you guys do within the council to help people move through that fear and begin to take the necessary action to realize who they see themselves as. Just want to clarify. So the Young Entrepreneurs Council, that that's an organization they've been a sponsor of the magazine. That's a separate mm -hmm. organization that I, I, I happen to be a member of. So it's a great organization. It's at yec.org. But I'm speaking right now as just me. Right. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing that. And so your question is, like, what are some of the things we do to well, I, I, I don't necessarily do what I'm describing to you as a living, uh, for a living, although there's, there's certainly a psychotherapy component to all the work that we do, um, and, and mostly on myself. But I guess I would say, as I'm thinking about, let's just say this inclusion strategy work that I do in helping organizations think through diversity and inclusion initiatives to mean what they say and, and to put some thought around their policies, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to see the world through that person's worldview. Because I don't need them to believe what I believe. I need them to be able to say what they believe and to say that honestly. Because once those words are out there, I can reflect a different perspective and we can do something with them. But before that person knows where they stand relative to where they want to be from an objective lens, then they don't really know which way is up yet. And so that's kind of an example of how I think about the work of inclusion strategy, because a lot of it involves deep, deep compassion and empathy for another person's worldview. Hmm. And that's a universal skill that can be deployed. And I'd, I'd argue is essential for success. It's interesting you said that, you know, you'd think oftentimes where a coach is kind of direct and guide, but you're, you're saying that somebody really needs to buy in before any real meaningful change is going to happen? Oh, absolutely. So in the context of diversity and inclusion in tech, where black folks are at most uh, at large tech companies, 3% of the workforce, yes, it's very clear how the numbers got the way they were. And there are people behind these numbers and people that we can talk to. And so a lot of my perspective has been informed by 
not only deeply understanding the psychograph of the black person in tech, because that is me, but also understanding the worldview of the people that are looking to hire them and the people who say the wrong thing when they get nervous or people who are uncomfortable with the topic, people who might not look like us. And so being able to understand how they view themselves in the world and by extension, the types of biases likely to be informing and clouding their judgment, I can better have a conversation with that person where they are as opposed to requiring that they be in a certain place on their journey to be able to engage me where I am. Right. It really does come down to compassion and empathy. I think those are the, the linchpins of um, everything that I do right. professionally and personally. So tell me a little bit about Abernathy. Yeah, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, that it's an online magazine for black men. It's at abernathymagazine.com. And I started this in the wake of my brooding and my rage and my confusion following Mike Brown's death. For whatever reason, I was uh, I, I grew up in a way that shielded me just far enough away from a lot of the things that disproportionately affect black communities not to have a real sense for what it felt like or, or what it looked like. Um, I, I just didn't have those experiences. And so there was something about Mike Brown's death coupled with social media, coupled with the fact that for the first time, citizen journalists could live stream a narrative unfolding that was counter to what the mainstream media was informing the public. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that changed me, watching night after night that unfold of the live stream in a way that gave me a lot of questions about this country that I was born in. And I had to go to source materials. And because we're not taught black history in this country, I had to learn it as a grown man. And that journey, sharing that in public, has been the birth of Abernathy. And so we've published absolutely unbelievable content, mostly from people I've never met from all over the world who've raised their hands and said, I have something to say. And so I have the best job in the world because I can say yes to people who life often says no to. And we have such brilliant writers. Uh, and I take no credit for their writing, but I take full credit for the magazine. Right. Where do you see that going? What's your vision for the next five years for that project? Oh, man. Five years, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I mean, it's two and a half years out, and I, I just, you know, life looks completely different. I definitely see a lot more live events. I could totally see us doing an Abernathy or an Abernathy Man conference or, or the equivalent. I definitely see you know, an array of professional services, consulting around inclusion and so forth, and um, really experiential off-site workshops with body movement and dance and drum and ceremony and sharing, like re really getting people out of their heads into their bodies and interleaving a lot of ancient and, and tribal wisdom in ways that we're desperately missing from our society. Stacked on top of each other in these major cities, utterly disconnected. Uh, we don't have community. Um, we don't spend time, you know, sharing and, and being heard. We need a lot more connection in our life. So, you know, call it inclusion strategy, call it technologist, call it uh, coach, call it mentor. I'm really just trying to uh, connect people and kind of reduce the ambient level of suffering in the world. Right. And you talk about the events. You do events now, yes? I do. I've, I've been doing too many events, but yes. <laughs> so most recently, I co-hosted an event in Oakland with Jopwell uh, called a Tech Tasting, sponsored by AdRoll, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and somebody else really important, LinkedIn. And it was fantastic. We had, you know, we capped RSVPs at, as they were approaching 300, and we had a wonderful gathering of beautiful black and brown folks 
technologists specifically at the Cape War Center in downtown Oakland. So that was last month. This month, I'm moderating a panel for a Black Employee Resource Group event in San Francisco. Uh, sponsors and details to be determined. But it's very clear that there's an opportunity for folks to get together and just be. And right. so, you know, there's a lot of strategic things I could do around thought leadership, advisory, workplace transformation, and so forth. But I think it's equally important for the black folks who occupy these spaces where they are the ethnic, cultural, and numerical minority to have opportunities to just be. And as I mentioned, because we're so disconnected and a lot of the people in these large cities are incredibly lonely and mm-hmm. incredible uh, need of, of connection. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a privilege and an honor to put together you know, a networking event where hundreds of black and brown folks can uh, have a drink, let their hair down, and just blow off some steam. I think that is completely good enough for me. Wow. It's an interesting observation that you've realized, and that's something that you've been able to put together from events in different places, talking with people, realizing that that is an experience that there is, that they're lonely and looking for Absolutely. that common bond. Absolutely. Well, some people might be listening to this episode in a month's time, and some people might be listening to the episode a year out from now. Where can people follow up and look at what events are happening for you? Great question. Thank you for asking. AbernathyMagazine.com is where most of my work can be found right now. We link out to our events. We'll plug on the homepage what our upcoming events are and where you can register. And of course, in the newsletter every week, we take people on a journey and, and give them the updates from wherever the adventure will take us. Awesome. Willie, we're almost out of time, but I got a couple more questions for you. Our trailblazers, Blazer Nation loves to tap into your resources and wisdom. And I'd love for you to maybe share Willie's top recommended ads for summer reading. Anything that you're you're reading right now that or have read that you think would be good books for us to put on our list? Yeah, absolutely. I just finished a book by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu called The Book on Joy. And that was such a beautiful, beautiful book. I think black folks in particular would enjoy a way of thinking about uh, viewing suffering and happiness and fulfillment in a way that is not steeped in our typical Western media lens. It, it's such a beautiful book. I recently read Stealing Fire by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler. It's a really, really good book making its rounds right now. I think the other thing I would recommend is a newsletter, the Fortune Race Ahead newsletter by Ellen McGirt. It is phenomenal and it's brilliantly curated and I can't say enough good things about it. It's worth your time. She's just fascinating. Awesome. I'll check those out for sure. Thank you. Last question. What's one action that our aspiring trailblazer hopping off this call should take this week to help them blaze their trail? Email one person and tell them that you're grateful for them and tell them why and mean it. Love it. Brother Jackson, thank you so very much for your time. I enjoyed having this conversation and learning a bit more about you. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think you've done a phenomenal job, and I'm so honored that you've had me. Uh, and despite our scheduling challenges uh, <laughs> this year, you've done a phenomenal job. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. 
Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.